I think it's just a good reality to know is that a lot of those are challenging, interesting types of writing, unfortunately, don't really pay much. So it becomes, if you're going to be a writer, very much about balance, finding a way to pay the rent, and yet keep the spark alive with writing that really means something for you. I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings, drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. In today's episode, I interview Daryl Hartman, who is one of the founders of the famous travel blog, Jungles in Paris. And travel blog is really a misnomer for their site it it, so the reason i call it a travel blog is because that is how i found it it is an award-winning travel blog and has gotten a lot of recognition a lot of awards and a lot of accolades in the quote-unquote travel blog realm but jungles in paris is very you basically as unique as its name is is what it is in the travel blog world which is why it's gotten so much so many awards and recognition it's kind of like if Wes Anderson made a geography slash history slash sociology slash travel website, and like almost like a documentary website too, which is beautiful photos and really breathtaking videos, um, this is what it would be. It's really well researched, um, really well written. Um, like I said, just absolutely breathtaking pictures and video. And then that aforementioned kind of Wes Anderson style that brings everything together and makes it all look very cool and really pleasing to the eye. So if I were you, I would actually stop listening to this really quickly. Just go and check out the site junglesinparis.com. Look at some of the content, enjoy some of the content, and then listen to this interview. That way you have kind of a framework with which to listen to the interview. Um, But either way, I'm sure you will like it. Without further ado, here is Travel Blogger. Daryl, thanks so much for being on the show, man. My pleasure. So I'm not sure if this is the best uh, interview technique, but I actually wanted to start out the interview by quoting you from another interview that you did. And if you could, uh, I just love this quote. And if you could just talk about it a little bit and kind of your inspiration behind starting Jungles in Paris. So the quote is this, we wanted to give ourselves a job that involved learning a little bit more about the world every day, not the pain and suffering, but the rare and amazing stuff that just knocks your socks off. The timeless and long-lasting things, rather than the immediately concerning ones. We wanted to discover more of that and to share it. I think that is like one of the most beautiful quotes I've I've ever read. Um, talk to me about that <laughs> and your inspiration behind starting Jungles in Paris. Well, thanks. I really appreciate um, that you like that. Um, it is indeed a, an amazing job to be able to give yourself. Um, so I'm a very lucky man. Um, you know, Jungles in Paris is a, is a media company and a, and a web platform. Um, we do videos, we do photos, we do writing. And it is, like you said, it's really, you know, I don't know about a lot of other people. I feel really overwhelmed a lot of the time by media, by news, by real-time sort of reporting and existence. And that's all important stuff for living in society, for life. But what I wanted more was timeless things, was to learn about things that have stayed the same for years, for decades, for centuries, what sort of persists in this world and what needs to persist and be sort of kept the way it has been. So that's um, one of the focal points for us at Jungles in Paris. I should also say 
I have a background in writing and a lot of magazine writing and writing for newspapers like the Wall Street Journal. And it's been a really wonderful career. But that, too, is very much tied to what's going on in this particular moment. And it's ephemeral stuff. And what's important today is maybe not so important a month later. So it was just it's, for me, it's, it's been important just in life to sort of take a step back, figure out what's important to you, what lasts and what you want to spend time learning about it's going to it's going to continue to be relevant continue to be uh inspiring and be outside very much of that 24-hour news cycle yeah that annual news cycle that quarterly news news cycle that we're so often sort of trapped in yeah absolutely man i i just love it so much because i feel like it you really put into words something that i i feel and i think about all the time um for better or for worse i don't really personally pay attention to politics very much because to me, it's such a, a fleeting thing. I, I see so many people uh, like who are my parents' age that almost continuously complain about politics. <laughs> yeah. And I, I just wonder like how much... And they always try to get me to care about politics more. And I wonder how much better they feel that their life is for having cared about politics their whole life because to me it looks a lot worse because to, to your point you're you're caring so much about these fleeting things that really are not going to have that much of an impact um you know as far as history yeah. is concerned either way you can look yeah. up and these beautiful stars are still over your head either way you can go to arizona and the grand canyon is still going to be there you know and shouldn't mm. we be focusing on you know those sorts of things rather than um you know a one percent raise in taxes or something I mean, two things there I would say is like so much of what we consider politics nowadays is kind of a circus. So I think if you're talking about paying attention to right. that, the question is, are you paying attention to the, the policies, the governing, the voting, the things that matter? Or are you talking about these sort of major, the gaffes that someone made during a speech the day before and the he said, she said sort of politics as entertainment, you know, right, I think, well so. Said. you know, like with many things, it's about cutting through what's just sort of there to get you to consume something to consume some media, to tune in because it sort of taps into some baser interest on your part. You want to see the gossip. You can't believe someone said that. That's so outrageous. So many people must be offended. I mean, that's to me, the bad stuff. That's they're trying to just like get your attention and you know, deep down in your gut that it's not doing anything really positive for you. And yet you still kind of, you still kind of tune in. And in the travel world, you know, and lifestyle in general, you know, I write for lifestyle magazines and they're an essential part of, of living for me to, uh, to, to be involved in that. But at the same time, it's about separating quality stuff that has value from people just trying to sell you something or getting you to read so that they can uh, collect their advertising rates or whatever, you know? Yeah, for sure. I, somebody that I really, really love listening to is Wayne Dyer, who uh, unfortunately just passed away about a month ago. Mm. Um, but he's an, just an amazing thinker and just a great guy. And something that he said like so long ago is just how many people it seems like are just looking for the next instance that they can get offended. They're just, they're just wandering mm. around waiting for something to be offended by. <laughs> and oh, it's yeah. uh, to what you were saying about, you know, with your journalism background, working for Wall Street Journal and stuff like that compared to now where with you know a beautiful travel blog or documentary blog or i don't even know exactly what you would call it we'll, we'll delve into this more in a bit but <laughs> it's like you, <laughs> you instead it's like people people that go to things like that are looking for a chance to be inspired you know and that's yeah. a wonderful thing that you can provide people yeah thank you i mean uh and we were talking about things like the grand canyon and whatnot i mean i think to be honest you know if you 
think about the natural world and a lot of the incredible, incredible things that do exist in our world. The truth is, um, the truth is that a lot of them are sort of threatened in a way. Um, and if we don't sort of pay attention and keep alert, then they're going to go away. They're going to get destroyed, you know, in the sort of modernizing world that seems to move along faster and faster and the sort of economic machines that fuel our world. A lot of these traditional cultures we talk about are changing faster than, um, seems right to a lot of people. Um, and they don't really have, uh, I don't know. It's just a little disturbing. So I guess our attitude is we want to show these incredible things and we're not a sort of soapbox site that is all about advocacy because I think even that in a way has turned into media entertainment you know, this idea of the five second sort of um, activist post where you just go on and get outraged about something and then move along. So totally. it's a tough balance to, to show something beautiful and inspiring and sort of suggest that um, it might be in danger and its specialness is not guaranteed to exist forever but at the same time, not to uh, play into this. We all have to act now, sign up and give us your email address so we can sort of act. You know, that's it's sort of finding a comfort zone for us. Yeah, totally. Well, what's nice is you can always rely on the fact that somebody else is going to do that, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, and I mean, if you if you put content forward, that's beautiful. That makes people want to protect those things. You know, like when planet Earth blew up in whatever that was like 2005 2006 the discovery channel did it's like i bet you that did more for earth conservation efforts than any um like political funding campaign or anything you know just showing people how beautiful the world is yeah i have no idea like if you really looked at it which one does more but i know that that planet earth component that you're talking about is essential so i mean that's what i would say and a lot you know jacques cousteau has a famous quote about people protecting what they love. And I think that's a very simple sort of sentiment. That's very correct. Like people aren't going to stand up and value things and protect them unless they first discover that they love them. Yeah, definitely. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about your history and background in journalism prior to starting jungles in Paris. So we can kind of look at that through the lens, which you did start jungles in Paris. Sure. Well, I came at it from kind of a funny place. Um, I'll be honest, I have been a writer and editor here in New York City since 2005. And for a year or two before that, I graduated from college and I taught English in Greece at a private school in Athens, Greece for a year. And I backpacked around and done some traveling. And then between 05 and 07, I was an editor at Travel and Leisure. So this all sort of, you would think, kind of adds up. But I also spent time uh, writing about such things as fashion parties and men's style and grooming and fancy automobiles and all kinds of these sort of lifestyle subjects that glossy magazines like. And it was great fun, especially in your 20s. It's a little glamorous. Um, and uh, eventually it got a little tiresome. I still do some of this writing and I really enjoy it, but I got to a point where it couldn't be 100% of what I was doing. Um, at the same time, I was doing a lot of these really wonderful types of writing that unfortunately don't pay anything, like uh, book reviews and art reviews and uh, write-ups of ex- obscure documentary film from the 1940s and 50s. So it was a real, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I think we're going to get to a part of the program where I'm 
I'm offering some advice, and uh, I think it's just a good reality to know is that a lot of those sort of challenging, interesting types of writing, unfortunately, don't really pay much. So it becomes, if you're going to be a writer, very much about balance, finding a way to pay the rent, and yet keep the spark alive with writing that really means something for you. Yeah, definitely. that was that was a, a challenge I was having, like the moment I went freelance in two thousand seven, and it's still a you know things things are very nice for me right now, but that's still a challenge too. You're always figuring out um, how can you really be excited and passionate and uh, happy to wake up in the morning and go to work and also and also pay the bills. So then, how did you, how did you ultimately do that? So you got together with your brother. Yeah. So, you know, this was probably about three years ago. Um, he has, you know, he's not here. Very busy man. We decided it'd be easier just to have one of us talk, but you know, obviously he's, he's half of the company and his background, um, he's got a much stronger business background than I do. And he runs a commercial film production company here in New York. So, um, his background is all in, um, really organizing, shoots organizing uh client work basically sort of advertisements and web ads um and a lot of that work these days actually is documentary a lot of brands are looking for for behind the scenes or documentary stories rather than the sort of sleek super bowl ads type thing that you're seeing yeah so we got together well you know we're brothers so we knew each other very well we spent a lot of time together anyway we found we were both pretty successful in what we were doing, but, um, sort of lacking, uh, something that really got us excited. Um, so we came onto this idea that we both really liked We combined our skills in a good way. Um, and it was this website that sort of employs my editing and writing experience and my knowledge of the world after 10 years of pretty consistent travel writing and his sort of, uh, interest and passion for a lot of those things as well. In addition to a a real logistical expertise and and a network of filmmakers, you know, I think a lot of people might want to start something like this, but one of the big challenges would be how do you find, how do you find uh, really talented filmmakers who will go sort of um, shoot something the way they need to shoot something for, for no money. Yeah. Um, So having a built in network of people you can trust and who've been tried and tested in a, in a sort of uh, environment as they had been working for my brother's company. That was a big part of it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's funny because I obviously looked around your site quite a bit. And at first I was just like, my God, how are these guys in all these places and doing all this (laughs) stuff? And then I realized that you guys aren't in all these places. Is that correct? Correct. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that people think we're sort of superhuman. <laughs> never, never a bad thing. Well, it's all, it's all done with such a wonderful art style. And I imagine that's a lot of kind of who you're choosing to partner up with and stuff like that. So yep. uh, let's take a step. I, I actually want to tackle both those things. So first, let's, let's take a step back and, and tackle you guys defining a brand and an art style for Jungles in Paris because it just looks so elegant and so nice and so unique. And is that was that something that you guys really explicitly tried to do when you started out, or is that something that just kind of fell into place and happened? We definitely wanted it to have a coherence, you know, um, and that can be difficult when you're working with a diverse group of people who shoot differently, who have different artistic visions. Um, and you're totally right to talk about the art element because we didn't just want this to be a site for documentary storytelling. It had to be artful, you know, and you'll see some of the films on there don't tell a whole lot of a story, to be honest, but they are mesmerizing, I think, because yes. of yes. the artistry and the visuals. 
Um, and like I said, we started, we don't have an investor. We don't have a big uh, load of money to spend. So to both get filmmakers and photographers who um, each have their own style and uh, when you're not really paying people much, you can't sort of tailor what they do to fit your, 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 your needs too much. Um, you have to sort of meet in this nice middle ground. So that is a challenge. You try to try to set expectations. You try to find people only whose work you like. You have to say no a lot, which is sometimes hard for me because I like to be a nice guy, but sometimes someone just does not have the style, does not have the experience to make the film you need. And you have to say, well, you know, stick with it and keep in touch, but we can't really use any of this, um, can't really use any of this for now. Wow, that's got to be so hard. So you're saying because you guys have started to win these awards and people are are acknowledging you, you now have people reaching out to you saying, hey, can I put some of my content on your site? And you have to tell them no? Oh, all the time. Wow. Well, the truth is there's a lot of people out there who really want to do this. And I think it's great. And they're adventurous travelers and they're going cool places. Um, but a lot of them are just beginning to learn how to take photographs or they haven't really done it professionally before. And they're looking to, to get a foot in the door, which I totally respect. You know, I was there at a certain point in my career as well. And I was sort of borderline spamming all kinds of editors (laughs) and they were saying no to me. I think that's just a part of the process. Yeah, definitely. Um, It's so hard because you always think back to the time that you were that guy, you know, and it's like, you want, you want to help out that guy so much, but you can't. Yeah. I think it, Yep. And I was, I respond about 95%. I would say I handled this part of the business, um, people pitching us and I respond to pretty much everyone. I think part of that is I sympathize, you know, I know editors at magazines that I work for who I don't think have ever been a freelance writer, ever been a freelance contributor and don't know what it's like maybe to have to hustle so hard. And they blow off those emails much more easily than I do. Cause I, I still remember. Yeah, definitely. So talk to us about the process of compiling other people's work um, and, and how you decide what people are going to to fit the your your kind of mission with jungles in Paris. Sure, um, you know when we started, we were more likely to be working with a filmmaker or a photographer who'd already shot something, and then we were talking with them about how we might present it um, on jungles in Paris. Increasingly now, we're involved from the beginning. So that is to say, if a photographer we know is going to Australia, like this great photographer friend of ours, Forrest, uh, just went to Australia, he'll get in touch with us and we'll sort of work out a cool story idea, like what's something just totally awesome about Australia that he could capture on, you know, with photography, photography would do the subject justice. Um, I guess maybe this is a good example to, to talk about. So in Australia, there's this incredible set of sort of limestone pillars off the Victoria coast. And they're known as the 12 apostles. And, um, when Forrest told us he was going to Australia, I, I pretty quickly came across this. It's something I'd um, been thinking about for a while. And it's, to be honest, not completely off the beaten track. It's something tourists visit, but they just look so incredible if you photograph them well. And Forrest did. And, um, so that's, kind of the process is really just identifying of the hundreds of things Forrest could have photographed when he was in Australia. Like this is the one that really sort of speaks to us at jungles in Paris. It's these, you know, hundreds of thousand year old limestone formations that just look like these big pillars in the middle of the ocean. And he shot them sort of at a slow frame rate and they have this sort of otherworldly look to them. And it's the sort of thing where you come across it on a busy webpage and be like, Oh my gosh, what is that? Um, so I, it's a key 
we get a lot of pitches, like I said, for stories. And I think it's sort of key for us that those images have an arresting quality, mm-hmm. um, especially if it's the natural world, you know, a picture of a field that could kind of be anywhere is not as interesting as something that's so specific and different that you immediately want to know where it is. You know, there has to, there's, there's a curiosity there for where this place is. How can I find out more? That's so incredible. You being involved from the start like that. It's almost like a, like a, like a ride share or something, but for art, like, like, Hey, I'm going to be going to Australia. Oh, really? You're this talented artist. You're going to be going to Australia. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and tag team this thing and you can do this. Cause I'm not going to be there. And what a positive thing for the artist as well. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, we toyed the idea of sort of starting a kind of database where we could just create it. We have a network of filmmakers and photographers and stuff we like. And if we had more time, I think we'd create some super time saving, um, thing that you'd sign up for and just type in. I mean, this exists for the world of photographers. I think it's called, um, oh, I can't remember what it's called. It's got light in the title, but you sort of sign in and editors around the world can see where you're going to be. And if they like your work, they can give you an assignment. We were thinking of doing our own sort of proprietary version of that for our own, for our own contributors, because it's a huge, um, way to maximize, um, your resources, you know, if someone's going to be somewhere anyway, we're not a big company. We're not flying people all over the world, but if someone's in a cool place and we can talk to them before they go there, rather than try to uh, reverse engineer something after they get back, yeah. we're in a much better position to get the kind of story we can use. Definitely. And so you are paying these people or, or these are just friends of yours. So you don't have to pay them right now. We do pay people like as a freelancer, it's the worst thing to even, even, you know, the gesture of making some money available is so much better for me than asking someone to do something for free. Because I think it's a big, I think it's a, a, a very conflicted about the fact that, um, people do stuff, uh, for free in yeah. general, but I'll keep it to my field, you know, writing, the more often things are written for free, the more devalued the writing skill becomes, you know, I think that's the truth of it. So we, um, we do always pay people. Um, it's not a whole lot, but I think they understand that we are making an effort. Yeah. The gesture is there that you value them and you value their work. Yep. For sure. Yeah. So So I I also want to add, you know, talking about the coherence of the site and making it seem sort of of a piece, a lot of that credit has to go to the design. Our site, I think the design's really excellent, and that's our designer, Thomas Nicholas. And in any brand, it's the design really goes a long way into defining who you are and um, and um, getting people impressed and wanting to come back. It's, it's the way you present yourself. Definitely, man. Yeah, well, all three have just come, I mean, from the design of your site to your writing to compiling all these these beautiful works of art it's like all three have come together so well for you as this cohesive unit that i mean that's that's really impressive to to be able to take three very separate things and bring them together and make it basically just look like one thing thanks yeah that's really important because our name is super confusing (laughs) yeah how did you decide on the name jungles in paris you know, we threw around a bunch of names that s- seemed to make more sense in a way or seemed more familiar or they had that sort of um, familiar, catchy s- sound of some of these, uh, sil- I call them like Silicon Valley startups. They all sound kind of like baby talk to me. You know, I guess Google is the primary example. They're all sort of like international baby words yeah. that a, a one-year-old could say. 
And they didn't sound right for what we wanted to do. And they sounded too familiar. So we wanted to do something weird um, eventually. And uh, this one seemed right. And it does confuse people. We get emails from people who think we're based in Paris. Uh, we're not. Uh, <laughs> you know, my, my experience, I worked in fashion for a while. And some of the cool brands had these very funky names. And the name itself was sort of a question mark that got you interested. Totally. So I think this does that. At the same time, we can sort of tell a cool little backstory to it. And the backstory is just this kind of idea of um, a wide world of exotic things. That's kind of the jungles in our title. And this fact that we take them and we kind of present them in a sort of, I don't know, educated or civilized way, almost a curated sort of gallery format. And that is the Paris, you could say. I really like that. Can I tell you what I thought when I read the title? And yeah. uh, and maybe maybe you can start using this as well when you're telling okay. people why you thought of it, I'd even though it. it's not true. Is So I moved to San Francisco about three years ago, and I still just absolutely love living in the city. And I'm mm. quite certain that living in New York has got to be the same way, which is so much of the time when I, uh, I'm going for a walk somewhere in the city, there's some crazy piece of artwork on a wall, or there's just this little mini park in the middle of these houses, or there's, um, like in my neighborhood, there's these slides that go down part of a hill for no reason whatsoever. So you're like walking mm-hmm. to the bars, and all of a sudden you jump on these slides to go down the hill to get to the bars, and somebody just put these slides there. And so I took the name Jungles in Paris to mean like quite almost like literally Jungles in Paris, like finding something really outside and obscure and unique inside of a more refined place that you didn't necessarily Mm. expect to find there, you know? Yeah, that's part of our sensibility is is, um, uncovering the unexpected, but... uh that's not exactly what we are, but yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay with that being a little uh, unclear, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so were you worried at all when you were trying to start this out or, or had you been in, um, uh, you know, in the, in the print and magazine world for so long that that gave you a sort of confidence? I, I think something that I, if I was to try to start a travel blog, um, or I guess the same thing happened to me starting my podcast is yeah. like the, the, the old adage, there's nothing new under the sun. It's like, you know, you're showing people travel pictures, you know, like how yeah. many other people have beautiful travel blogs, you know? Yeah. So how, how are we going to break out and become successful in this realm that's already so saturated? Yeah. Well, a few things there. I mean, I gotta say this is a, it's a two person company. It's not just me. And my brother is much more of a natural born disruptor than I am. So this never would have happened without him for sure. Awesome. Um, I think we combined our skills in a really fruitful way. So he's the kind of fearless guy. And I'd been a freelance writer, um, which requires a certain type of resourcefulness, but he'd started his own company from nothing. He really had no background even in film production. Um, he studied psychology and biology in school and he'd done some volunteer work in Nicaragua and he'd worked at an agency, a branding agency, um, in San Francisco actually. Um, but he, he'd started a company that from very little background, totally taught himself how to do it. And he'd done the, the formation of the corporation. He'd looked into all the paperwork. He'd handled that whole thing. So this was, um, this was easier for him than it was for me. So that was, uh, that was a big part of it. The other part, you know, I think it's important to start something like this. It helps so much to have some experience in the field that it's in, you know, um, I say this having met a bunch of travel bloggers and the spectrum there is huge of people who are really good and people who aren't putting a lot of thought into it. 
um, of people who have a really strong travel background and people who come out of another industry. And if you haven't, you know, if you haven't spent a lot of time in travel media, it can, it can sort of look like all these blogs are doing the same thing. However, if you spend a lot of time in travel media, you're really attuned to those differences and where the, where the gaps are. Yeah. And on a superficial level, they may all look quite similar, but then you start to understand what's different and special about, um, you know, one or two and that, that puts them apart. So I think that experience in the field is pretty crucial. Um, and it allowed us to really see what we're doing as kind of in a category of its own, both a, because the storytelling was a certain way, the approach was a certain sensitivity and emphasis on beauty and B, which is maybe more obvious, the fact that we're so video driven. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of great websites out there that do photography that do writing, but they haven't really cracked the video problem. Um, which I think we have done. And part of that's because our video background is so strong. A lot of these publishers don't have the video background. They try to nail the writing and the photos first because that's the sort of traditional background these people have. And then the video is just this giant conundrum because everyone's terrified of how to do it and how much it costs and all the technical challenges. And that's actually the, we were just as comfortable with that part of the equation as we were with everything else. Yeah, which so, is, I mean, yeah. I mean, that takes care of everything for you, you know, just to not I even so. be scared of something. <laughs> yeah, I think that was, uh, I think there's a certain confidence that comes with experience in in the field um, that you can't, uh, you can't underrate that. So talk to us about some of that experience on the logistical side. And you and I were, were emailing a bit back and forth about this, which is um, you being a freelance writer, you know about um, like trying to trying to get your work noticed and get yourself out there so you guys now have gotten tons and tons of critical acclaim and that's how i came across your site as i'm sure hundreds of people are coming across your site every day because of that and i was wondering i was asking you on the email like do these people just find you or are you having to just hustle to get your name out there um and and what does that hustle look like Mm -hmm. um yeah, we're constantly um, trying to get more attention for sure, but it's it's like so many things it's about. You know, I've been a freelance writer, a writer for a long time, and so I know that every writer and editor out there in the media is getting bombarded with uh, press releases, bombarded with requests to cover this, cover that. So um, I think that helps when we do approach people to write about us. I mean, we're lucky enough to know some of these people personally, so it feels like a more personal um pitch. Um, and I also just, I, I, I tend to know as a writer myself, what I want to hear from someone when they're trying to get my attention. Um, I mean, just because you have so much, I mean, the Google, the Gmail, um, promotions folder is the best thing to happen to my life over the past few years, because you can just, <laughs> you can just dump spam and PR emails into it. Um, so I think coming from that point of view helps to get people interested. I think my, our feeling is, for the most part, as soon as we can get someone to click on junglesinparis.com, um, we are in a pretty good position because we're really confident that what we're putting out there has something special about it. And yeah, I can't imagine pitching, pitching something that I felt sort of 50-50 about and hoping someone else felt more interested than I did. I just can't imagine what it would be like to be in that position. So it's, it's, uh, it's coming from a super positive place, I think, to be advertising ourselves. Um, this is... I, I, don't think I'm a natural at this, but, um, I'm learning. 
Yeah, I mean, you have to have the good content, right? Otherwise, someone it might take a look at it and then they just bounce and that's that, you know? Yep, and it's tough because we're not newsy. You know, a lot of blogs and websites and news organizations want something that's of the moment. That's what they're going to cover. So we're more hitting that. Um, sometimes there is an overlap with the news with what we do, but a lot of times we're just hoping it's sort of a nice beautiful timeless thing and there is space one thing that's nice about the internet you know i'm I'm very conflicted about it all these sort of fly by night very quick things but on internet media there is a need for beautiful sort of take you out of the moment sort of um beautiful distractions and i think people are kind of hungry for that and i don't mean to downplay our stuff by calling it a distraction we try to present some really artistic stuff and some really well researched um text to go along with it but uh i'm I'm grateful that there's space especially for video you know because a beautiful little two minute video just sort of punctuates someone's work day really nicely yeah definitely man um i noticed on your site that you it doesn't look like have any advertisements right now how are you funding this well uh it's very lightly funded i would say and it began um coming out of our own pockets and that's still kind of the backup option um, the truth is that there's a market out there for selling video footage. Um, and so we do some of that. Well, a lot of times we're just shooting it ourselves because my brother and his sort of filmmakers are shooting, um, are shooting a good number of the films now rather than us outsourcing to people around the world that we know we're sort of keeping it close to home when we can. Mm-hmm. So there's a secondary market there for beautiful sort of stock footage. And that's been, that's been a way to make money, but you know, we don't have the, we're a two person thing. We don't have a lot of time to pursue those opportunities a whole lot. So they kind of go up and down. Yeah. Um, we also do client work. Uh, and this is very close to my brother's other business where you're just sort of, this is sort of a mirror operation. His other company is quite large and we're quite small, but, um, you know, people like the way we shoot stuff. We will occasionally shoot it um, for them to their specifications. But at the moment, none of that ends up on our website. So when you go to junglesinparis.com, what you're seeing is pure, pretty pure editorial stuff. There's no brand involved right now. So I saw that you guys also do live shows in New York. Yeah. How, how does that all work out? That sounds awesome. That's a really fun part of it. Um, and one of the reasons for that is that it somehow seems more in just something just engaging about a live event. I'm not a sort of digital native. Uh, I don't think maybe literally I am because I was born in 1981. I'm not sure, but <laughs> I am always trying to find ways to find less time on my computer. So the live events are really all about that, bringing together a group of people to really sort of sit for a while and bask in what we do rather than spending five or 10 minutes on stuff or whatever our average um, site visit is. I'm not sure of our exact stats, but we do something once a month here in New York where we'll have a photographer and a filmmaker or two photographers show a bunch of work and sort of take us through a journey they did. Um, We'll also sneak preview a film that's coming up at these events. And then we're just piling events on each other really we did one at the explorers club here in new york which is fantastic 110 year old wow yeah for arctic explorers and uh daredevil aviators and geologists and all kinds of interesting characters and it's beautiful wood panel building and my brother and i are members and it brought in a great crowd and we're doing a couple in london 
in November because we're going to be in the UK. So it's a really great sort of way to meet people and build audiences and maybe above all, see the effect that our project has on people because that's one of the biggest problems, unfortunately, with any kind of publishing, whether it's a newspaper or the internet is you can't sort of sit there and see the response you're getting and talk to people about it and pick up on some of their energy. You have to sort of guess Absolutely. about it. Even or worse you, on the internet, you know, you post some photos and someone's like, I hate Africa. And uh, you're just like, all right, dude, yeah. whatever. Get flamed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if, if people are going to go to the site for the first time and they are only going to be able to look at like two or three things, do you have like a two or three like favorite things that you guys have ever put together? I think so. Um, I mean, I am really partial to the short film we did in Vermont. Um, it's about this ski mountain called Mad River Glen. That's unlike any ski place I've ever heard of in my life. It's sort of owned in cooperative fashion by the skiers. It's super old time New England. They don't allow snowboarders, but they're super friendly. If you show up with a snowboard, they'll just sort of like give you a pair of skis for free. Um, it's got this very rough and ready sort of anti-modern approach to the whole, the whole business and sort of sport of skiing. And we had a director who's friends of, who's a friend of ours. His name is Michael Clark. He actually used to be a former pro skier himself and he's a really talented, um, really talented cinematographer. And of course he can ski anywhere with a camera on his shoulders. So he got some beautiful footage in particular, a nice little, nice little vignette on the ski place in Vermont. That would be one of them. Um, another one, I'll just throw it out there. I really like this. It's also happened to to do very well online. It got picked up a lot of places. It's a short film about these horses in Jamaica that an equestrian trainer has taught to swim in the ocean. So we, this is our sort of first experiment with underwater photography, underwater filmmaking, and it turned out pretty, pretty nicely. Um, not the easiest thing to capture these courses, like swimming in the waves, um, but we managed to do it down there in Jamaica, and a lot of people have really responded to that film, especially anyone who likes horses, to see these animals sort of just like using all their power to swim in these sort of beautiful azure blue waters of the Caribbean. It's kind of special. That sounds amazing. So you hear about this story and then you just spend your own money to go down there and film this with the, with the hope that, you know, it'll be good content. Um, that's, yeah, that's pretty much it. We had, we had a a partnership for that one. We had a, a media outlet that wanted first dibs on the video. So they were able to negotiate, something with us we certainly didn't when it was all said and done make money but we didn't go out of pocket to go shoot that um so we came out okay but it's uh you know to save money on stuff like that takes a lot of takes some experience in the industry and takes some negotiations so it doesn't happen right away yeah yeah for sure um well why don't we close out with some advice for younger journalists or freelance writers or a travel blogger i mean i think it's going to be kind of really universal advice Um, for people trying to get started maybe with something on the internet. So first, you mentioned earlier that because of your background in, as a writer, you kind of know, you feel like you know what to say to people in, in like a quote unquote pitch email for an article that you did or, or, or something like that. What, what advice would you give to somebody trying to get their content noticed? The main thing for me is to be specific in the email. Um, I, I know I can, I, I can tell when someone's just sort of copy pasting an inquiry and, uh, you know, no shame. I did it myself, but 
uh, I think people know when you're just sort of sending something up by rote and you're not tailoring it to the person who's receiving it. And the problem with that is really, it's, it, it suggests to that person you're not taking extra time to make a connection with them. You're just sort of throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. Take that extra moment, spend some time on whatever website it is you're pitching, whoever it is you're approaching, do a little background research and then make a presentation that is um, specifically for that person. It really makes a big difference and shows you're willing to um, give them the respect to do that. Yeah, definitely, man. That is great advice. Um, and then just some overall advice for someone maybe trying to start uh, a travel blog or something like that. You know, I would say don't rush it. It sounds like conservative advice, but I think this has come across as we've been talking here. Like, I feel like I'm in a, our site was in a good position precisely because both of us had spent so much time in our respective industries. Like I don't want to make myself to be an old man. I am 35, but I had, I started this when I was like 31, 32 and had spent considerable time in the industry that I was launching myself back into as a sort of entrepreneur. So I think that's important. Um, if someone's already in industry A and is looking to shift over to industry B, obviously that's a tougher thing to pull off. Um, but you really want to just put yourself around people who know the business, um, educate yourself as much as you can because, all that's all that's going to help, especially in something like especially in something like travel media, travel writing, where it is a very crowded field. It's a very appealing thing to be in, no doubt. And yeah. for that reason, there's a lot of people trying to do it. So you really got to set yourself apart. Yeah, for, <laughs> for sure. Good advice. Um, awesome, dude, Daryl. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. This was a lot of fun. Hey everyone, it's Blake. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. Just wanted to give you all a quick reminder that if you have any ideas for the show, be that a person that you would like me to interview or just a topic that you would like me to cover on the show and you want me to track someone down, or if you have a question for an episode like today's or any other episode that you were kind of biting your tongue and wishing that I had asked, you can submit all that through my website on the submit your ideas link and I will either track down an old guest to ask those questions for you or find that new guest that you want to hear from. Thanks so much.